Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Welcome to part three of our series, What's In It For Me. In the first week, we talked about what's in it for me in this relationship with God. And and we realized that many times we're looking for something out of our relationship with God when in reality, what God wants to do is reshape and redefine what we desire in our lives, because what we desire actually drives what we do. More than what we know, our desires shape and drive what we do, how we behave, decisions that we make. Last week, we talked about what's in it for me to, to live on mission. Why is that so important? Why is it so important for me to discover my purpose and and learn how we can use that purpose to impact the circle of influence that God has given us. So this week, I want to talk to you about what's in it for me to serve those around me. And some of you right off the bat, you're going to click the X. You're ready to get out of here. You're like, check, please. That This is not for me. This message isn't for me. This is a message for people who have like actual time and actual energy to like give to more people. I'm literally just trying to make it through the day. So thanks for the message, but I'm going to go ahead and move on. Listen, I I totally understand, but I believe that God has something here for you. And we're going to talk about that fatigue and we're going to talk about how God shows up in those moments where you feel like you have absolutely nothing to give. The reality is some of us and most of us are facing some level of fatigue that it almost feels paralyzing. It almost feels like we, we have nothing left to give. Like if one more thing hits our plate, if one more thing comes around, it's just going to absolutely break us. Some of you are, are dealing with mental fatigue. I like to call it decision fatigue. And it's that it's that feeling that if one more person comes and asks you to make a decision or solve a problem, you're literally just going to burn the building to the ground. Like, I've got nothing. Uh, Like, don't ask me anything else. And you live with this anxiety and this this raised awareness that at any moment someone's going to come and ask you to solve a problem, to solve an issue. And you feel like. I have nothing left to give you. I have no more energy. There's no way that I can get through this. Your, your chest is tight. Your breathing is shallow. Your, your body is, is panicking. You're just like, I, I am so exhausted. Some of you, you're dealing with emotional fatigue. That feeling that, that you feel like you're surrounded with people who they always have these emotional roller coasters that's going on. And you're trying to navigate your own emotions and, and feel your own feelings and, and know what to do with that. And you're thinking to yourself, can't these people see I, I don't have anything to offer them when it comes to their situation? It's not my circus, not my monkeys. I don't know. I have nothing for you. And that fatigue is taking its toll. And then for so many of us, we're dealing with physical fatigue. We, we haven't rested 
And our bodies are literally saying to us, hey, you might not quit, but I will. Like, I am physically going to stop you in your tracks. You're, you're feeling pain. You're experiencing things you haven't before. Your body's responding weirdly. Like, you're going through something. And it's because of this, like, fatigue and, and this loneliness, even, that we talked about last week. And this loneliness in our emotions and loneliness in what we're experiencing. If we don't allow people in and allow God in that it, it ends up blinding us from seeing what is right in front of us. Some of you are thinking, oh, okay, I'll hang around. Now, now we're, let's talk about this fatigue for a second. But the truth is it, it reminds me a lot of when I am hangry. I don't know about you, maybe you don't get hangry, but we do, my family does. Because my family has this like very intimate relationship with food. Like we fantasize about new recipes. We wake up in the morning before we even pull the blankets off. We're thinking about what beautiful meal we're gonna eat for dinner. Like forget breakfast and lunch, like we're already there. Like we are constantly thinking about food. So when hunger comes, it comes with power. It comes with emphasis. It is ready to be vanquished. Like hunger has no place in my life. And so for me, when I get hangry, man, I just go up into like straight caveman mode. Like I am stone faced. I've got nothing. There's no emotion. It's just blank. I may grunt. I may aggressively point at something, but like I, I, I've got nothing. Like don't ask me to solve anything. Don't ask a question. Feed me and give me 20 minutes and then I'll be back to life. But I am a zombie walking. It is, it's not good. I mean, Seriously, there have been like serious moments that are going on and Lauren's like, don't you have something to say? And I'm like, I need food. She's like, there's more important things than food. I'm like, there's nothing more important than food right now. Like feed me or, you know, I'm just gonna shut down right here. I'm just gonna, it's over, I'm out. And this amazing thing happened over these, these 14 years of being married. Somehow my hangriness has become contagious. Because Lauren's family, they only eat when they have to eat. They, they're not worried about food. And somehow now she gets hangry, but hers comes out in a way where she just gets the shakes and she's just like, her hands are shaking and her eyes are wide. And she's just like looking around and then her eyebrows get furrowed. And it's like, what is going on with you? She starts dropping everything, running into walls, saying sentences backwards. It's, it's actually impressive. And I'm like, baby, What's going on? She's like, I skipped lunch and I really didn't eat breakfast and I am shaking. I have to have something right now. I'm like, okay, all right, let's get you fed, baby. Let's let's make this happen. It's passed on generationally. Brooklyn, she just becomes a glass cage of emotions. I mean, it's tears and tantrums. She's flinging her body all over the place. Like it is excessive. And it just comes out of nowhere. I'm like, baby, what is going on with you? What is your issue? And she's like burying her head in the sofa and she's crying her eyes out. We're like, what happened? Did, did you hurt yourself? What's going on? She's like, I just want a sandwich. It's like, okay, my goodness. It's, it's out of control. Now, Audrey, Audrey's a different story. Audrey is our youngest. She's five right now and she's never hungry. But the reason why she's never hungry is because she is the church like snack dealer. 
She's always hustling somebody for food. It doesn't make any, she's the tiniest little thing. If you come and visit our church as a first time guest, prepare yourself for a super cute little five-year-old who's going to look at you like a puppy dog that's been left out in the rain and ask you to steal food for, for her from our little coffee bar area. Like, can you give me a donut, please? I haven't had a donut today. And you're probably like, who are you, child? But sure, you look hungry. Here you go. So we're coming home from church on Sunday and we're like, baby, why are you not hungry for lunch? What, what did you eat at church? She goes, um, I had three pieces of cake, uh, uh, four bags of gummies, two bagels, and now I got a bag of chips. And it's like, it's been three hours. We had two services. You've been in kids church. Like, how is this? Pop so she's never hungry. She never has an issue. So what's, what's the point I'm trying to make with this? The reality is that we, we all get to points in our life where we feel like we, we have nothing left to give. We're completely tapped out. We've given everything that's in the tank. We, we drove it all the way to empty and we are, we're spent. There's nothing left to give. But the reality is, as much as we hate to admit this, we do have something left in the tank. And the challenge that we have to face is, face is you give life to whatever you give the most energy to. The issue is not that you don't have anything left in the tank. The issue is you may not be intentional with where you're actually spending that energy. You may not realize how much of that energy is leaking into places that you don't mean for it to, but it just happens. And so we're giving life to areas of our life that really we, we need to let those starve rather than, than our emotional and our mental and our physical areas of life. We're, we're starving ourselves emotionally. We're starving ourselves spiritually. We're starving ourselves physically instead of, of feeding the most important areas of our life because we're giving it away in places we're not intending. So you have something left to give. The question today is, do you know where you're actually giving it? And today we're gonna be looking at a Bible story that is super familiar, but I think we'll take a little bit different of a take on it. But I love when we get to, to see stories in the Bible of people who are going through real life things just like us. And I especially love when it happens in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because these guys wrote firsthand accounts of Jesus and his life and how he dealt with these moments. And so if you want to turn in your Bible, it'll be on the screen here, Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 30. And it says this, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Now, I want you to see something. Don't don't miss the fact that Jesus acknowledges their fatigue. Jesus doesn't look at him and go, suck it up, losers, what's wrong with you? Jesus goes, hey, you've been working hard, man. Like You've been putting in time. You've been putting in hours. Let's go off by ourselves and rest. Let's go catch our breath. 
I just love that about Jesus. And I think so many times we miss that. Jesus says, let's go away for a minute. So they left by a boat, starting in verse 32, for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And Jesus, as they got to the other shore, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And late in the afternoons, the hangriness begins to rise up in his disciples. And they came to him and said, hey, this is this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to a nearby farm or village and buy something to eat. But then Jesus flips the script and he says, you feed them. You feed them, Jesus said. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. They go straight to the logistics. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And you have to imagine in this moment, the disciples are hungry. They're fatigued. They've been working hard. They've done ministry. They're supposed to be going for a little siesta to just go rest for a little while and they show up on the shore of this quiet place and it's infiltrated with thousands of people. And Jesus, instead of sending them away, starts to teach them. And then when they go, all right, bro, it's been a long time. Let's, let's let the people go and eat. Let's let them, it's time, it's time. Call the message, it's been long enough, let's go. They're hungry. Jesus goes, well, feed them. And I have to imagine Peter, the hothead it has to be like, bro, what do you mean feed them? Feed them? Do I know what I look like? A magician? What am I supposed to do here, Jesus? I'm tired. I'm hungry. I want to go to the village and get something to eat. What are you talking about? And disciples had to be floored by this response from Jesus. But it reveals the truth to us that's so important. Our inadequacy should highlight our need to depend on God rather than ourselves. You see, Jesus, Jesus wasn't asking them to dig deeper within themselves. Jesus wasn't asking them to, to lean into their strengths, to lean into their problem solving. Jesus wasn't asking them to manufacture something that they didn't have already. Jesus was inviting them to depend on him. This moment when Jesus says, you feed them, was an invitation for them to say, Jesus, how would you like us to do that? Help us see, how would you do this? We need you to solve this, Jesus. We can't do this on our own. It was an invitation to them. Because the reality is you and I will always get to a place where we feel like we have nothing left to give. We'll feel like we're completely tapped out, that we've given our very best and that's it. We're done. All the cards are on the table. All the gas is out of the tank. Any illustration you would like to use, Danny, I'm, I'm out. We'll always get to that place in our life where we feel under-resourced, under-appreciated. We feel inadequate at times. The real question is, what do we do when we get to that place? Is God our last resort or is he our first stop? Do we turn to God and go, hey, 
this is on you. I'm trying to follow you. How, how do we need to navigate it? Or do you just quit? Or do you just isolate yourself? Or do you just get caught up in your emotions? Do you become a victim of your own situation? Do you push yourself away from everyone and, and anything that you possibly can and you, you, you salt to yourself and you allow that isolation to hold you back from actually being truly dependent on God when you need him the most? Where, what, what do you do when your tank is empty? You see, what's cool about this story is it's found in, in all four gospels. And in one of the, the accounts of it, the disciples said, Jesus, I, they, they go to the financial. Jesus, it would take eight months of salary to buy the food, to go into the village and somehow find the amount of food that we need for these people. And you know, we don't have money like that. And, and Jesus looks at them and, and John, another account of the same exact story, John 6, Jesus asked them a powerful question. How much bread do you have? Go and find out. This is such a key question in our lives. Jesus is asking them, just like he's asking us, what do you have left? What do you have left? Do you even know what you have in your tank? Or has this feeling of fatigue blinded you from what you might actually have? what you actually have to give to your, your marriage? What do you have to give to your, your finances and, and being healthier in the way that you navigate them? Your relationships, your job, your family. Like what do you actually have left? This is a key question for us. Jesus caused, caused them to to stop spending their time finding all the ways that they aren't prepared, all the ways that they don't have enough. And Jesus is challenging them as he's challenging us. Stop spending your energy highlighting what you don't have and spend some time discovering what you actually do. What do you have? What are the blessings in your life? What are the, the opportunities in your life? Where, where are the moments where Jesus has been faithful to you? What do you actually have in your hand? Take inventory, take account. You see, it's, it's amazing because in the story, the miracle begins once they start to take account of what they actually do have. In John 6 verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But immediately the negativity comes. Well, what good is that with this huge crowd? Have you done that? Well, Jesus, I mean, all that I have is, is this. Like, what good is that in this situation? Well, all I have is this little bit of money. All I have is this little bit of skill. All I have is this little bit of time. All I have, all I have, all I have what good is that when this problem with this situation is this big and all i have is this what good is that you see the beauty is that jesus didn't bypass the meager he multiplied it jesus says 
All I need you to do is recognize what you do have. And I can multiply that. It's when we come to the table and say, we got nothing, we got nothing. I don't know what you want me to do. I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm, I'm done. What is he supposed to do with that? When we take what very little we have and say, hey, God, this is, this is all I got. I've got this little bit of time. I've got this little opportunity. I've got this little bit of skill. I've got this little bit of passion. I've got this little bit here. Can you multiply it? Can you do the miraculous with the meager? It's a challenge that, that Jesus takes on in this moment. You see, because the enemy convinces us to believe the inadequacy lie. To believe the lie that I don't have what it takes, I don't have enough, I'll never have enough, we won't get through this situation, I don't have the money, I don't have the energy, I don't have the connections, I don't have the, the time, I don't have the opportunities, I don't have. And we, we just, we live in this mindset of highlighting what we don't have. And Jesus says, I need you to break that mentality by taking account of what you actually have and giving me what is left, even if it's just a little. I'll take that little and I'll do much. You see, while we're pointing at our only, Jesus sees more than enough to accomplish his purpose. While we're pointing at, well, I only have, Jesus goes, you don't get my ecosystem. That only is more than enough in my economy. That only with your faith is more than enough for the miracle. That only is all I needed to know that you still trust me to show up in your life. We've got to stop getting in this mindset of, well, I only have and start recognizing the blessing and the opportunities that God has put in our lives. Paul says it this way as he, as he was begging God to remove this weakness in his life. And he said, I've gone to God over and over again, asking him, please take this away. I will be a better follower of you. I will, I will be better at what I do. I'll be a better preacher. I'll be a better church planner if you just take this away from me. And look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 12. Each time God responded, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Listen to me, family. You have everything you need right now to start doing what God has called you to do. You're not waiting for the right season. You're not waiting for the right moment. You're not waiting for the right resources. You're not waiting for the right opportunities. God is calling you to take what little you have and do what he's called you to do with it. You have everything that you need to take your first step. But the problem is we want everything before we're willing to do anything. We want all the answers, all the resources, all the problems solved before we want to take a step. And, and God says, that's not how it works. 
You have everything that you need. And the very moment, the very second that you need something else that you don't have, guess what? I am faithful to show up with it. God never gives me something ahead of time when I'm in the middle of a situation that I'm going through. He wants me to take those steps of faith, believing that he's going to show up and solve that problem, believing that he's gone ahead of me to solve and give the answers, to provide the answers that I need. He doesn't go, hey, here's every possible thing you might need for this trip. Like, like I, my, our, my sister-in-law just had a baby and I just I forgot how much you have to travel with with a baby. Like you have every thing in case of emergency, like everything you can imagine. And I think a lot of times we expect God to do that. Like, he, hey, I filled the trunk. You got everything in there that could ever possibly ever happen. If there's a blowout, we got 16 tires back there. We're ready to go. Like, God goes, take a backpack and start walking, baby. I'll show up and give you the rest on the way. You have what you need. The time to start working is now. The time to start serving is now. The time to start allowing God to, to help you live on mission is now. There's not some perfect season that's going to solve all of these things. You start the work now. Continues on in John chapter 6 and verse 38. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 and 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up towards heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Thousands of people were fed. But the reality is that this story is known as Jesus feeding the 5,000. But really, it should be known as Jesus teaching the 12. Jesus wasn't impressed by the, the sheer number of people he was able to feed with this little bit of bread. His goal and his purpose was to teach these 12 men what you have left in your exhaustion, in your fatigue, in your weakness. I am strong. What little you have, as meager as it seems, I will multiply it. The destination, the solution for the problem, that's child's play for Jesus. What's more important is what we understand and our relationship about him. There is a level of, of depth that happened in the relationship with the 12 that day. Because Jesus said, hey, it's, it's not about the food. It's about your faith. It's about you trusting me in these seasons. Guys, do you, do you really believe that Jesus suffered the cross, died in our place, defeated sin and death so that we can walk around hanging our heads, defeated, deflated, exhausted, 
fatigued to a point that we can't live a life with purpose? Do you think that Jesus did all that he did for us to live that kind of life? Of course not. So what do we do? If we're called, because we have to understand that in both our specific calling that's unique to us and in our general, our corporate calling that's for every one of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, in both of those, we are called and commanded to serve. We're called to serve when we're not fatigued. False. It's just not the truth. We're called to serve even through our weakness. That's what we see in the story. Jesus is like, even through your weakness, even though we were headed to rest and go and relax because I know you're fatigued, I can take what little you have left and look at the size of the miracle of what I can do. So how do we serve when it feels like we have nothing left in the tank? How do we serve as we're waiting for Jesus and, and, and allowing him to refill us in our lives? Super quickly, I just want to give you four quick things. The first thing is that you do for one what you wish you could do for all. This is a quote that's from Andy Stanley. He said it probably 15 years ago, maybe even longer than that. And it absolutely changed my life. It gave me permission to start where I was. Because so many times in our life, we feel like if we can't do everything, then we shouldn't do anything at all. Well, I, I know I could do something to serve this one friend, but what about these other friends? Well, this person's going through and this person's going through and that one and that one. And if I do something for them, what about them? So I'm just not going to do anything. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. The beauty about serving is that it stacks on itself. It's cumulative, that it begins to create momentum that as you serve, serve the one, God expands your ability to serve the many. But you have to start with the one. If you don't do anything at all, what is he supposed to bless? What is he supposed to increase? If you never give him anything, how can he do the miraculous? So do for one what you wish you could do for all. The second thing I would challenge you to do is to practice without pressure. Right now we're in the beginning of the NFL season and it's, it's preseason and they're playing fake games that don't matter. But that practice is without the pressure of the games really counting against them and they're growing. What, what, what am I talking about? In Ephesians 4, it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You see, one of the primary responsibilities of the church is to equip the body, is to equip God's people. So when I say practice without the pressure, one of the benefits of serving in church is that you get to grow your leadership skills without the pressure of your job being at risk. You get to, to grow and hone and discover and, and work on those spiritual gifts that God has given you without the pressure of being in the marketplace. 
when you come and you serve at church, it, it isn't so that you can grow the church and grow our vision and grow the. It isn't about that. It's about the equipping. It's you getting practice without pressure to grow and expand your leadership capacity so that when you walk into your job, when you walk into your community, when you walk into your neighborhood, when you walk into those conversations that are spiritual in nature and they're, they're deep and, and it's, it's leading some places, you've been equipped and you've practiced and you know what it's like to handle those moments because you had an opportunity to serve and do that. You have a great opportunity with the connect class that happens, an opportunity for you to learn more about how you're wired and take that next step to serve and, and be a part of it. Get into action. Come and greet. Come and work in student ministry. Come and help our, our kids team. Those little steps of, of commitment, even if it's one time a month, gives you an opportunity to practice without pressure. It isn't about serving the church, which is a beautiful thing. And we honor that. But you're being equipped and growing in order for God to do something powerful in your life outside of the four walls of this church. The third one is this. Be intentional about adding value to every person you meet. Every person? Every person. Hey, look, the, the reality is you can't change everybody's life. That's something that I have to learn as, as like a, a go-getter, an achiever. I, I can't change everybody's life. But I can make it better every time they meet me. Every time I have an opportunity to be around them, I have a, a chance to impact their life with joy, with some peace, with humor, with seeing them, with awareness, with transparency, with, with conversation, that, that every person that comes in contact with me, that I have an opportunity to add value to their life. How do I do that? It's not about me, it's about them. Helping them be seen and heard and known and loved. And finally, and probably the most important, this is a great, great principle to grab a hold of, it starts at home and then you can expand the circle. Your home has to be your first priority. Your family has to be your first priority. And the reality is if you get to a point in your life where you're standing in a room with hundreds of people who are celebrating how, how much you love them and you cared about them and, and how much you brought to the company and how valuable you were and how funny you were and the, the impact that you had on them. If you're standing in a room of people cheering for you, but your spouse and your kids have a totally opposite story to tell. Sorry, friend, you you lost. Our primary responsibility is our family. I can have a room full of people cheering for me. If my, if my daughters don't know that they are the most important little girls in the world, it doesn't matter how many people are cheering for me. If my wife feels like she has to take the back seat to everyone else's problems and she never has access to her husband, because he's spent and given out every bit of energy to everyone else in the world except for her. I've lost. Start at home and then expand that circle and allow the overflow of what God is doing in your family to spill out into your neighborhood, into your workplace, 
Start now by serving your family. Serve your spouse, serve your kids, serve your parents, serve your in-laws. Start somewhere and allow God to take what you are giving, take that meager and multiply it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful story, a story that we're so familiar with at times, but I think we, we get caught up in the amount of food that you produced. But Jesus, you, you don't want to be some like rock star caterer. It isn't about the fact that you multiplied a Lunchable into a meal for thousands of people. It's about the fact that when we give you whatever we have left, you multiply it in a way that is so miraculous and is so much greater than we could ever imagine. And so Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what we have left. Help us be better stewards of the energy that we have, better stewards of the blessings that you've given us. Help us to be better stewards of, of our lives so that as we live on mission, as we open our hearts to you, as we create opportunities to, to serve people and to to care for people, that through that, you will fill our buckets to overflowing. But Jesus, I pray right now that it would start in our homes, that husbands would serve wives and wives would serve husbands, that sons would serve parents and, and daughters would serve parents and parents would serve their kids, that this, this would just be this fountain of pouring into one another and loving each other well that would spill over into our neighborhoods, that it would change neighborhoods, it would change areas of our city because of the way that families are loving and caring for one another, the way that they serve one another when they're out in the baseball field or the football field, the way that they serve and they speak about one another. Lord, that you would just use that to do something miraculous in their conversations, miraculous in their interactions with people. Jesus, we know that you can multiply whatever we have left. So we surrender it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.